Well, good morning, Bridge Church. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Psalm 94. You can go ahead and open those up. Uh, that was my good friend Lee. Uh, he is in Southeast Asia. Had the uh, opportunity and privilege to go and visit uh, with them and their family uh, a couple weeks ago, and to just experience the city uh, again. And uh, I don't know if you caught what he said exactly, but it is uh, an exceptionally strategic and diverse city. Uh, one of the, probably the most diverse cities that I've ever been in. Uh, in a matter of an hour, I think I met people from about 18 different nations, uh, from Eastern Europe to uh, Central and Western Asia to the Middle East. I mean, just, just an incredibly diverse place. Uh, if um, <clears throat> They are missionaries that we support over there. They are starting a business, uh, which, is, which is really awesome to, to be a part of. They're in a, a complex uh, that houses thousands of people, and they are most likely the only Christians in that complex. Uh, the country that they're in is a, is a majority Muslim nation, and there's also a lot of Hinduism and Buddhism that is there, and Christianity is less than uh, 1%. And so uh, it's, it's a phenomenal opportunity for, for business, but it's also a phenomenal opportunity for the gospel to move forward and there, and so uh, for those of you who have who have supported them, we thank you. Uh, they thank us for for the support of the Bridge Church, and uh, I look forward to maybe some of you ending up there one day uh, with them to share the gospel. So, uh, so that's that's what that was. Um, if if you're interested in any of that, please come and see me afterwards. I'd love to share a little bit more uh, with you. Uh, now, I want to uh, I want you to tell you a quick story of something that happened to me recently. I was driving down the road. Uh, I think it was Carolina Beach Road, and, you know, the speed limit's only about 45, but everybody goes like 65, and so, you know, I'm just, I was driving, I'm not going to tell you how fast I was going, and, you know, someone was riding my tail, I'm in the left lane, and they cut me off, right, they, they get up on my tail, they swerve around me, and they cut me off, and so what do, I, what do I do? My gut instinct, I grab the shifter, and I, it's an automatic, so it's not going to do me any good. And I, you know, I'm just like, oh, no, you didn't. I'm going to step. I'm going to floor it. I'm going to swerve back around you, and I'm going to get you back. Right? Isn't that many of our gut instincts when, when something like that happens to us? Like, no, no, you didn't. I'm coming for you. You're about to get what you deserve. Well, well today in Psalm 94, we're going to look at what David shows us. Uh, and that is that, you know, to a certain extent, it's good for us to feel discomfort and emotion when we experience a wrongdoing. Uh, but then ultimately what he's going to show us is the proper way to handle those wrongdoings and to handle any oppression or injustices that we see. And so some of the questions that are really driving us in the text today are, uh, what do we do when we see injustices around us? What is appropriate for us? How should we respond? And throughout this series, we've been, uh, we've been handling uh, pretty much a whole psalm. Uh, and if you take a look at Psalm 94, it's pretty lengthy. It's about 23 verses, and it's jammed full of a lot of really good stuff. And with the time frame today, there's just no way I could go uh, through all 23. So as you saw, we're just going to go through the first seven verses, okay? So go ahead and open your Bibles if you haven't already. Let's take a look at Psalm 94, starting in verse 1. David says, O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O God of the earth, O judge of the earth, excuse me. Render recompense to the proud. 
How long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour forth words. They speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. And they crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. And they have said, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. Here's the first thing that we should see when we read this psalm, is that oppression ought to deeply stir our souls. Oppression ought to deeply stir our souls. In that nation there in Southeast Asia, one of the several stories that we heard were the stories of the refugees that go into this nation. This nation is open to receiving refugees, but they don't acknowledge their refugee status. And so people are flocking to this nation for opportunity because they're going somewhere where they think is safe for them. They're running away from oppression into this nation, and the nation, the government there, doesn't acknowledge them. And so they have no citizenship. And so then they can't get jobs. But the only jobs that are offered to them are jobs like building on high-rises, where the employer actually takes their papers from them and says, you will work for me as much as I see fit, and then eventually you'll get back your papers. So even if they wanted citizenship, they couldn't get it because all of their documents have been taken by these employers. And not only that, but there's a lot of orphans in that nation. There are several families that are having children as refugees, and again, the, the government doesn't recognize them. And so now you have stateless orphans. You have kids that have no identity, kids that have no nation, no people to belong to. Think about the orphans in, in our county. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children in our foster system, and no one to care for them. Think about the violence in our city, as we just, just heard about, those that are killed in our city. Fifteen, I believe, 15 homicides already this year. I believe there were roughly 14 or 15 in all of last year. See, there's something that stirs within you when you hear these stories that just kind of make you sick. There's something that just, it makes you desire for that situation to be rectified, right? Well, where, do, where does that come from? Well, it, it, there's something within every single one of us that's there because in the beginning God created and he created man and woman in his image. And God is a God of justice. He is one who seeks righteousness and justice. And so when we hear stories of oppression and injustice happening, there's something within us which is the image of God that cries out for justice and for vengeance when we see a wrong that is being done. And that's good. Okay, that, that is good. There should be something within you that stirs and makes you uncomfortable and maybe even just a little bit upset when you see injustice. That is a good thing. See, when we look into the world and we see and we hear that people are being oppressed, what is our response? Right? What are the emotions that you feel and what should you feel? Well, if we look back at our psalm, we see David's raw emotion, and we see that David, he is angry, right? He's angry. He looks and he sees what is happening around him, and what does he see? He sees evildoers that are proud. He hears them boasting about what they are doing. 
And they are crushing. They are literally killing God's people. They are murdering widows. They are murdering foreigners. And they are murdering the orphans. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, they are turning and then mocking God's people, saying that God essentially doesn't care what we do And it really doesn't matter because he's not really there anyways. And so we are going to continue to do what we want to do. And then you know what? We're going to continue to boast about it. And David's mad about it. Right? This really angers David. And it angers David, dare I say, to the point of an emotional response of hatred. See, David isn't just mad that these things are happening. He he wants to see vengeance take place. He wants these people to get what they deserve. David wants them taken out. Did he just say that David felt hate? A man after God's own heart felt hate? Yes, yes, I did. And I know, I know that I'm going to get a dozen emails this week. So please let me clarify what I'm talking about before you get your smartphones out and start typing. Okay. First, let's define hate. Hey, this, this may seem a, a little basic, but let's make sure we're on the same page. According to the dictionary, here is the definition of hate. Hate is intense hostility, an extreme dislike or disgust, or to dislike intensely or passionately. Okay, to dislike intensely or passionately. And if we read through the book of Psalms, you will see very quickly that a lot of the psalmists express this definition right here. Call it what you will, but according to the dictionary, that is the emotional response of hate. An extreme and an intense dislike and disgust for the oppression that is happening throughout the land. God's people hated what they saw around them. And they were passionately against the ones that were causing oppression, and they wanted to see the oppressors gone. You see, we, again, we see this throughout the Psalms, but we see this also demonstrated in God's character. Right? Proverbs 6, there are six things that the Lord hates. Psalm 45, you've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Romans 12, Paul commands his people, again, commands his people, God's people, to abhor which is another word for hate what is evil. Abhor what is evil or hate what is evil. Eugene Peterson says this about hate. He says, hate is our emotional link with the spirituality of evil. It is the volcanic eruption of outrage when the holiness of being, whether ours or another's, has been violated. It's our emotional link to the fact that evil is happening around us. When somebody's holiness, in other words, when somebody is attacked or oppressed or violated around us, it is this emotional response that awakens us to see that something is wrong. And he goes on to say that often this is the only emotion that has the power to pull us out of our complacency and our contempt. Right? This emotion is really the only one that has the power to pull us out of our complacency. It is the necessary spark that awakens us to the evil that is happening around the world. 
But what happens? What happens to this emotion when we feel it? Well, most of us, we suppress it. Right? We, we bury it. We push it deep down inside of us. And why? Because we've been told that we can't feel that way, and so we hide it. We see that something out there is wrong, and we don't like it, and it makes us angry, but we've been told our whole lives that that is not okay. That it's not okay for us to feel that way, and so we don't admit it. And we definitely don't pray it. Right? It's, it is so important that we actually turn that and pray that to God. It is so important that we pray this emotion. We have to get it out and give it over to God, or it will sit and fester and turn into something worse. Right? If it's not admitted, it can quickly and easily metamorph into the evil that provokes it. And if it is not prayed, we have lost an essential insight and energy into doing battle with evil. You see, if we just hold it within us, one day it will come out. But it's not going to come out as righteousness. It's going to come out as the very evil that began it. You see, hate and anger is the right ignition it is the right spark. It is the right emotion to feel when you see something wrong going on around you or to you. It is the emotion that is appropriate for you to be woken up. But it cannot be what continues to drive you. Right? Hate, it is okay for hate and anger to be the thing that wakes you up to the injustice around you, but it is not okay for that to be the thing that continues to drive you. See, hate and anger should bring us to compassion and love. And I understand that this is really confusing. It's, a, it's one of those paradoxical natures of the gospel. And hate, hate is the emotion that we feel when we see injustice, right? But it must lead us to compassion for the oppressed and love for our enemies. Pastor Sean, a couple weeks ago, demonstrated this really well. Okay, during the kingdom prayer time, he came up. And he spent some time praying for those who were caught and oppressed in sex trafficking. Well, what he did is he, his heart broke for those people and he prayed for them. But then he also, his heart broke for the ones who were causing the oppression and he prayed for them as well. You see, he, he was upset that this is happening and he may have even been mad at the people who were doing it. But he so had a heart of compassion and love that that fueled, that initial response of anger and hatred fueled him to pray for and care for the enemy, the one who was causing oppression. And so what it means is that we cry out to God on behalf of the, the oppressed and on behalf of the oppressor. Right? Our prayer has to include both the oppressed and the oppressor, which leads me to the second point. Emotions ought to be submitted to God. Our emotions ought to be submitted to God. You see, David and the other psalmists express, I love it, they express their raw emotions all the time. It's great. They feel something, and instead of hiding it or suppressing it, they turn it to God. Right? They turn it over to God. They don't, they don't call up the ones who are causing oppression and chew them out. Right? They're, they're not going and knocking on their door and, and throwing things at them. They take their emotions to God and they submit it to Him. 
Look, look back at, at what David says in the psalm. What is he doing? He is calling out. He is crying out to God. He is telling God how he feels. And even more than that, he's telling God what he wants to see happen. He wants to see this evil stopped. He is not okay with what is happening around him. And he says, God, you know what? This is what I think about it. This makes me really angry. These people are killing orphans and widows and foreigners. And it makes me angry. And so I want it stopped, God. I want you to do whatever it takes to stop it. But ultimately, you are God and you know better than I do. You are God and you know what needs to happen. You see, there's one thing to just say, God, this is what I want to happen. It's a whole nother thing to say, God, you are God and you know better than me. And so I can submit what I feel to you and allow your justice to take its course. You are God, you are justice, you are love, you are mercy. And God will see to it that righteousness in the end wins. You see, when we express our emotions and when we submit them to God, we are finally recognizing that we are not our own saviors. We are not the one whose job it is to seek vengeance upon the oppressor. We will begin to see and finally understand that God is the avenger. One of my all-time favorite movies is Gladiator. Uh, Russell Crowe plays the gladiator, and uh, the best scene of the whole movie, if you haven't seen it, um, this is going to spoil it, but it's like 20 years old, so it's probably already been spoiled for you, uh, but Gladiator, great movie, and, and in the movie, Russell Crowe is standing in the middle of the Colosseum, he's just dominated everybody with one like sword or something, and he stands before the man who has caused him great hurt and pain, and oppression. And he looks at him, and he says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, and husband to a murdered wife. And then he says this, and I shall have my vengeance. I love it. It's great. What a great movie. It is. It's so good. And, and, and honestly, some of you are like, yes, I love that. So good. Why do we love that so much? Why does it resonate with us so much? It's because we see somebody doing what we want to do. Here we see somebody standing before an oppressor, someone who's causing pain and hurt, and he's looking at him and he's saying, I'm going to have my vengeance. It's going to happen. I'm, I will succeed in getting it. And we want to do that, don't we? So we, we like to take matters into our own hands, right? When we, when we get hurt by someone or when we're offended by them, we see someone else getting hurt, we, we want to jump in. We want to jump into action, right? You see, there's something within us. It's a part of our human nature that, that wants to get back at others for wrongs that they've done. Okay, if you don't believe me, I'm going to prove it. Okay, real, real quick, if you have someone sitting close to you, I want you to partner up with somebody. Okay, everybody, everybody grab a partner real quick. Okay, now, the person, the person to my left okay, of that partnership, person to my left, I want you to smack the person to the right. 
All right, I'm just kidding. Please don't, please don't smack each other. All right, but, okay, the person on the right, yeah, the person on the right, you were looking at him like, do it. Hit me. See what happens. Yeah, see what happens if you smack me, right? You hit me, I'm, you'll get yours. You just wait till the pastor's not looking, right? Isn't, isn't that often how we think, right? That's, that's how we act. If someone hits me, I'm going to hit them. We teach our kids this. Right? You, you better not get in a fight. Oh, but look, if, if somebody hits you, you go to town. Right? We teach our kids that stuff all the time. If someone says something to you that's ugly, or they give you a funny look, right? you're going to give it right back to them. Someone, someone looks at you funny while you're driving, you give them a dirty look and throw your hands up, don't you? Maybe one hand. Maybe, maybe someone... Unless their dog poop in your yard, and you're, you're ready to go drop trout and leave them a little present, right? <laughs> See, it does, seem, it does seem a little natural for us to, to want to avenge for the wrongs that are done, but whose job is it? See, we tend to take matters into our own hands when we see the wrong or we consider what is wrong being done, especially when we feel that it's been done to us. But really, it's the Lord's job. It's not ours. Romans 12 says this. Paul says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not repay evil for evil. Don't fight fire with fire. Right? You fight it with good. We leave vengeance to God, and we try to overcome evil by doing good to our enemy and our opponent. This is not the way of the world. This is not what the world teaches us. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and you get what you can get when you can get it. But it is the way of Christ. He didn't retaliate on his enemies. Rather, Jesus loved his enemies. And those enemies were you and me. You see, when we live as the God of our own life, we are living in rebellion. We are living in what we call sin. And those who are actively living a life of rebellion and a life of sin, instead of turning and repenting of that sin... We are, by definition, enemies of God. Ephesians 2 tells us that. We are, by nature, enemies. Because of our sin, we are enemies of God. Romans 5, though, tells us that though we were yet sinners, Christ came and He died for us. Though we were His enemy, instead of taking us out, He came and He gave His life in our place on our cross so that we could be known by Him as His inheritance instead of as His enemy. You see, God sees the oppression that is happening and He says that He will avenge it. He will rise up and the judge will declare the verdict. God avenges all wrongs that are done. Just think through some of the biblical history for just a minute. Remember the flood? How about Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's wife? 
Adonira, Sapphira, even then beyond biblical history, we can see that God avenges for evil. If not in this life, then he does in the next. Right? He will one day, either in this life or in the next, avenge for evil. And David recognizes this. Immediately, he starts Psalm 1 with this. He says, O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. He understands that vengeance is God's regardless of how he feels, regardless of what David thinks needs to happen. He recognizes that vengeance is his. It's God's. Many of us, though, we, we prefer for God's vengeance to happen in this life, though, don't we? Right? We, want to see, we want to see the oppressor taken out. I mean, heck, even, even David is calling out to God, asking him to avenge the evildoers that are causing all this hurt and pain. He tells God, God, give them what they deserve. Verse 2, he says, give them recompense. Give them what they deserve, God. And that's often our response. Right? It's often our desire when we see oppression, when we see evil, when, when something happens to us, we, we, we want to see that right here, right now, immediate gratification. We want to see it in this life. We're not patient enough to see how God will handle it. My question, though, is, is that the appropriate response? Is, is that the appropriate response for us to have? Should we, should we desire that? And honestly, I'm not sure. I know that's not the answer you wanted, but honestly, I don't know. I, I mean, I know, I know I just told you a few minutes ago that it's okay to feel anger. It's okay to feel that emotional response of hate because, because that is what awakens us to what's happening in the world. But ultimately, we need to submit that to God. So, so should we really desire for the oppressor to get what they deserve? Should I desire that? Do I, is it okay for me to long for the oppressor to get what they deserve? I don't know. I, I, I've been wrestling with this all week long. This is really hard for me to come down on just one side or the other. Right? There are still people being taken advantage of in the country that I just left. There, there are people in our city being taken advantage of and killed. There are orphans in our city. And, and so, yeah, it upsets me. It angers me. And I want to see justice take its course and honestly, there are times like David that I cry out to God and, and where I want God to just take them out. Just, just take them out. David, again, in verse 2, he says, he says render recompense or, or give them what they deserve. And I'm reading that, I'm like, does he really mean it? Maybe. I mean, probably. Right? David really wants these people to be gone. They're causing pain. They're killing people. Why wouldn't anybody want them gone? And I think, honestly, I think David is just being honest with God about how he truly feels. Whether it's completely right or wrong, he's being honest with God about how he feels, which is good. It's good. We, we should always be able to go to God with our full and raw emotion and submit it to him and allow for him to discipline us if what we feel or think is in the wrong. Right? While we might feel that someone needs to get what they deserve, it takes God's discipline and the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to move us from that emotion of hate and anger to the emotion of love and compassion. 
But again, what about the concept of them getting what they deserve? This is the question I've had all week when I've studied this. Should we desire it? Should we desire it? So do we turn it over to God and desire justice? Yes, absolutely. But should we long for and desire the destruction of the ones that are doing evil? And should we celebrate their destruction? You know, it made me, it made me think back on about seven or so years ago. I remember where I was when Osama bin Laden was, was killed. Right here you have a man that was by all accounts an evil man. Right? He, he's, he was the mastermind that, that built up essentially an army that, that, that caused one of the worst terrorist attacks in our country. Something that has continued to go on. Here's, here's a man that has orchestrated the killing of thousands of people. And when he was killed, I remember the scenes of the, that night and of the few days following of watching people celebrate the murder of Osama bin Laden. And is that okay? Honestly, I struggled with it. I really struggled with it because on the one hand, less people would be killed, right? Less injustices were happening. And so praise God, right? Praise God, there is less oppression that is happening because of this person who was causing so much. God, I praise you and I thank you for that. But then at the same time, here was a man whose death just resulted in eternal damnation. And so yet, I mourned. I mourned. It was this strange paradox of rejoicing the oppression that is being stopped and mourning that a soul has then been forever separated from God. So should we long for it? I don't know. I think we, I think we should mourn and rejoice simultaneously that, that there's less evil. Rejoice than mourn. Mourn that someone will never experience abundant eternal life. That they will forever, forever be separated from God. See, many of us, we have this reaction and we want, we long for, we desire. We want those who oppress to get what they deserve. I get it. I've said it. David says it here in this psalm and he expresses it to God. But should it really be what we desire? These people are enemies of God and they will eternally be separated from Him. Do you really want that? Do you really want it? You say that you want people to get what they deserve, but then when you look in the mirror, you don't want what you deserve. Right? We want grace and mercy, and yet we don't want to extend it. I'm not half as bad as those people. And yet there's still sin. And yet, as a sinner, you're an enemy of God. And you'll be right there with those people. Until you submit and turn and repent of your sin. See, we deserve God's righteous wrath and judgment, and yet He gave you grace and mercy. We deserved punishment, and yet Jesus took your punishment. 
We deserve to be eternally separated from the Father, and yet Jesus had the Father turn his face on him so that you never had to experience that. See, here's what God's been walking me through this week as I've wrestled with this. When we see injustice happening, it's okay for me to have and express my emotions about it. It is even good for me to desire to see justice take its course, but ultimately I have to turn it over and submit it to God and allow Him to determine what that justice looks like. See, if God decides to allow for oppression to continue, then upon death He will free the oppressed, and He will righteously judge and deal with the oppressor for all of eternity. Maybe he decides to stop the oppression immediately. Praise God, he's lifted and freed these people in this life. And, and if he decides to show grace and mercy to the oppressor, then instead of withholding it and being bitter towards them, we, we the church, must rejoice and extend grace, mercy, and forgiveness to those whom God has redeemed. Right? I know that there are some of you in here that are experiencing some terrible thing, some horrible oppression that is happening, some injustice that is happening to you. Right? Maybe it's a father who doesn't treat you like a father should. Maybe it's an abusive relationship. Maybe it's a, a, a roommate situation. Maybe it's someone that has just really hurt you. And I, I'm sorry that you are experiencing that. I really, I really am. I hate I hate that that is happening to you, and I hate that these things still happen in our world. And one of the ways that we can combat that together is through prayer. And maybe some of you right now, you're on the other side of that story. Some of you have been the oppressor. And for you, the same thing needs to happen. You need to seek repentance and forgiveness. What a sight. What a sight it would be to see the oppressed hand in hand with the oppressor praising the name of Jesus. Right? Like Paul, who was a murderer of Christians, being redeemed and going on to worship Jesus with the ones he sought to kill. How amazing and how powerful would that be? Right? I, think of, I think of stories like Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, famous missionaries. Right? But why were they famous? Well, to me, they were famous. They were so well-known because Jim and some of his friends, they went to an indigenous people of Ecuador and were brutally murdered by them. Okay, that doesn't sound so awesome. Now, instead of seeking vengeance, Jim's wife took their daughter and one of her friends to this same village. And instead of seeking vengeance, told them about Jesus. And eventually, God's justice and God's vengeance took its course not with death, but with redemption. With men and women who fell to their knees, repented of their sin, and worshipped Jesus. How beautiful is that? See, there is so much more beauty in the oppressor being changed than an oppressor being destroyed. There is so much more glory to be had when an oppressor is changed and redeemed than when an oppressor is destroyed. Jesus saw it worth it enough instead of destroying you to save you. See, I hate oppression, and I want to see justice take its course. But my desire and what I long for is both for the oppressed and for the oppressor to be brought to their knees before the throne of Jesus 
as his children and not as his enemies. And I have to submit to and allow for God to determine how justice will be had. Let me, let me close in addressing this question that I know many of you, many of us have when it comes to this. Is there a particular action? Is there a particular action that we can or that we should take when we see injustice or oppression happening? This is a really hard question and it's one that is really difficult to address in some kind of general prescription to all oppression and to all injustices of all times forever. It's somewhat of a case-by-case scenario. But yes, in many cases, we should have some sort of active response. We need to have some sort of active response. And honestly, historically, the church has really struggled to figure out how to respond, and we need to work on this together. We have to work on this together. When we see oppression happening around us, it is ultimately the church and the power of the Holy Spirit that should be the refuge for the oppressed and the ones who are seeking justice. It should be the people of God who are the shelter for the oppressed and who then as well are seeking justice in the city. Our arms should be open to the widow, to the foreigner, to the orphan. As the church, when we see injustice happening, we come together in the guidance of the Holy Spirit in order to figure out how to be actively engaged. Now, I know that throughout this series, we've, we've mentioned several times that, that the Psalms would have been sung and repeated by God's people um, regularly. Well, I, I looked it up, and I wanted to share this. I thought it was, I thought it was good. While in Babylon, uh, there were various gods being worshipped. Right? That's where God's people were in exile. And, and each, one of the, each one of the other gods had their own day. And so what the Jewish people decided to do is they devoted a psalm to every day to express the kingship of God. Psalm 94 was sung and read aloud every Wednesday. Now why in the world would they read this psalm? Why in the world would they read this on a weekly basis? It's because they were reminding themselves that though they themselves were being oppressed and though evil was running rampant around them, that God is the God who avenges that it is God that we must submit to and follow, and it is God that will discipline, judge, and redeem. And so they reminded themselves that, that even though they were living under oppression, that it was God that they must submit their emotion to. It was God who would ultimately redeem them in their situation. And David reiterates this at the end of this psalm as he says that God is our stronghold. He is our refuge. He reminds us that one way or another, God's justice, God's judgment, God's grace, and God's mercy will reign. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that, that we would not be complacent, that we, Lord, would have open eyes to see the injustice that is happening in our city and in our world. And that, that that would waken our souls. It would so stir this deep emotion within us that we cry out to you, God. 
that we cry out to you to see justice. That we hand it over to you to allow your spirit to work. To allow for you to determine how justice takes its course. And Lord, if that results in redemption of the oppressor, then praise. We praise you for that. God, there are some here today. There are some here today that are causing an injustice. They're causing hurt. They're causing pain. And Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would move in their hearts to convict them, draw them to their knees, and bring them to repentance. Allow them to see Jesus and understand that he is their Savior. and He makes all things new. Lord, there are still some yet that are finding themselves in a situation where they are being hurt emotionally, physically. Lord, they need freedom. And so I cry out and I ask that you free them. Take the oppressor out of the situation. Allow these people to find freedom in you. Lord, the reality is that we were all your enemies. And yet you, Jesus, came and you freed us, you redeemed us. You called us your children. So we worship you today, Jesus. Jesus.